So I hope that, I hope that you're not flying the plane in the spaces of your mind. But as a matter of fact, you've chosen to engage with God as he works through this opportunity. And today has been filled of opportunities and with many opportunities for you and your spiritual growth. I hope you've engaged in that. And if you've checked out in many times and in many ways, I hope that you make the choice for tonight to be present. Because as we talked about last night, when you choose to be absent, and even if you're here physically, you can be absent mentally or spiritually. If you choose to be absent in mind or spirit tonight, you could very well be missing out on a gift from the Lord Almighty. I don't want you to miss it. So let's pray as we begin that our hearts and our minds and our souls will be engaged with what God is going to work through this time together. Pray with me. Our Father, we pray for bowed hearts and humbled spirits as we come before you. We sing songs in praise and worship. We pray lifting and exalting your name. And Father, we don't want to miss out on the fact that as preaching takes place, it really isn't for us. It is for the exaltation and the glorification of you as our God. And so we want to have the purpose and be about the purpose of praising you, understanding you more fully tonight. And the effect of that and the result of that, Father, which is what you've done so wonderfully, is that we are changed and we are impacted and we can be about the transformation process. And so, Father, we say thank you. And we pray that we will engage with you tonight. That we'll connect with you. And wherever that leads each person, we pray that it leads a step closer to Jesus and Christ's likeness. So thank you for how you work. Even as we offer you worship, we know that you're active. And we praise you tonight in the name of Jesus as we pray together. And amen. We are constantly seeking likes. We are constantly desiring the love. And I'm not talking about the love of a hug or a handshake. I'm not talking about the expression of a handwritten note. What I'm talking about is the ding. Or for you, it may be on vibrate. What am I talking about? The notification. Oh, yeah. Joe talked about it this afternoon. You hear the ding on my phone. Okay, so many people are, have their phones on loud, or you know what I'm talking about. Oh, and your heart starts to flutter. Why? Because you've gotten a like, you've gotten a comment, you've gotten a tag, you've gotten something. Someone's acknowledged your post, they've watched your podcast, they've shared a message that you put on there, they've responded to what you've said, and you start to flutter and you start to think, oh yeah. There's a guy named Simon Sinek. And I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoy watching his speeches 
and his talk in the business world. But in discussion at one point in time about the generation that is growing up connected to phones and devices, he talked about the brain waves that have become addicted to the ring. Because there's a chemical that actually, it shoots out into your brain. Because when you see something on that phone, it's a notification, it's a like, it's a comment, it's a repost, it's a tag. When you see that, something fires off in the inner parts of your brain. The the chemicals fire off in your brain and it almost goes down. Has has anybody seen the movie Inside Out? (gasps) Me too. Me too. (gasps) You've seen the movie Inside Out. And so when something good happens, what happens in the, little, the brain of the little girl? The gold bowling ball rolls out. Ding! And it goes into that inner chamber of core memories. And if it's not a core memory, it could be something good that's stored in just the memory bank and it's cast off at some point at the end of the day when all the little emotions in the brain are send all those things wherever they need to be. That is a great illustration of what takes place in our minds. Because we're constantly seeking it for the gratification that somebody else approves of me. Somebody else likes me. Somebody else thinks I'm cool. So my wife and I like to do silly things in the privacy of our home and on rare occasions posted on social media. And so one time, uh, it's probably been about two years ago, we would read our son, Jarrett, who's here with us. We'd read him books at night, and all these children's books are really raps put to words, and they're without beats. So we decided to put a beat to it, because I love to try and beatbox. It's just something that I thoroughly enjoy doing. Midley, I mean, you understand what I'm talking about, where I'm coming from. I've heard you do it at Freed, phenomenal job. I'm not nearly as good as he is, but we tried and we put it on social media and it was the pout pout fish. I'm a pout pout fish from a pout pout place. So I spread the weary juries all over the place singing blub, blub, blub. And it is a great children's book. My wife memorized it and I did the beatbox and we put it on our Facebook page. And you know what we did at night laying down in bed? Ding. Oh. Ding, ding, ding. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Ding, ding, ding. This is awesome. And I remember how many likes and posts and tags and comments it has on it because of what that does for me mentally and emotionally. Now, you can't get on your phone and go looking for it yet. But it's pretty good. (laughs) Here is the sociological fact. What makes social media so popular is the fact that you are seeking likes from other people. It proves that we need connection. And in a world where Aldi is delivering you your groceries, when you can order Taco Bell and have it at your house in 10 minutes, amen, in 10 minutes it can happen. We named our dog Taco Bella Johnson. So, I mean, I love some Taco Bell. I am thankful for it. That's true, too. (laughs) 
But in a world where Aldi will give you, give you the groceries, where Taco Bell can be on your doorstep in 10 minutes, when you don't have to go anywhere to order things at, at, a, at a store or a retail shop because you can go to Amazon, one click, buy now, two days on your doorstep, and the post office guy doesn't even knock at your door, he just puts it there, boom, 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 and then he goes away and you got a box on your doorstep and you've never seen a single soul. What in the world is our world about now? Isolation and disconnection. That's it. Our world thrives on isolating you, disconnecting you, and then Satan comes in and says, this is how you find connection. This is how you find close relationships. This is what's going to make you feel good and this is what's going to send out those brain waves that let you know you're liked by your peers. Sexuality. Alcoholism. Involving yourself in things that you shouldn't be doing. Because the world thrives on people and Satan thrives on people who feel isolated and disconnected from one another and he comes in and he says, here's a little pretty, take hold of it. When God said, though we are individuals, we're one body. We might have many members, but we're one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14. And that entire paragraph of text says, this person may be a finger, this person may be an elbow, this person may be a kneecap, or a big toe, or maybe even a pinky toe, but they're a part of the body. When the world wants to isolate you and disconnect you, God wants to put you in a body and give you a family. We need connection with people. That's why social media and Mark Zuckerberg is worth billions. It proves we need one another. God created us for community. No doubt about it. He created us to be a part of one another. Do you know that when you become a Christian, you actually become a part of Christ? So no, you're no longer isolated by yourself living on your own, but rather you are joined to Jesus and you are a part of God. He created you for community. Christianity was never meant to be lived in isolation, but rather meant to li be lived in connection. God created you for this community. Social media is this surface level connection that tricks you and convinces you that you're connected when in reality you're utterly disconnected. Because the people that you see are this big. And then phone, you can do this. And then they become this big. You're like, oh yeah, there's a good picture. But you right here are life size. <laughs> Social media is surface level connection that fools you to think that you're connected when in reality we need face to face connection. We need handshakes. I have cold clammy hands and I'm sorry about that. We need each other. I'm not alone in that either. I know many other people out there feel like me. I don't want to shake your hand because I've got cold clammy hands. Well, let's just get over it. All right, we're all gross in some way or another. Social media will fool you. God wants to connect you. 
He wants you to have more than just surface level connection to somebody that is in half of an inch large. And so here's what we have to talk about today. Our connection first off to God. We're going to get to confession. But I'm, I'm fully convinced that confession is the result. Confession is the icing on the cake. It's got to start with connection. And as there is connection, we create community. And from within that community, there is confession. And so we're going to get there eventually as the destination. But I want you to see the path and the journey. Our connection to God is first and foremost. Look at Jesus in Luke chapter 6, verse 12. Mark it. Write it down. Highlight it. Even the Son of God himself took time and spent time to go be in isolation. But hold on one second. He wasn't alone. What does Luke chapter 6, verse 12 tell you that Jesus did in his isolation? He connected to God. As a Christian, you may be in moments where you're alone physically, but you're never alone spiritually. Jesus, the Son of God, spent time to go away, sometimes late at night, sometimes very early in the morning before the sun even came up, and he spent time in close connection to God. We've got to be people who stay in close connection to God. Sunday cannot be your only day of spirituality. Wednesday, yeah, some people think it's just an extra, but it can't be your secondary day of spirituality. Your life must be committed to connected spirituality. Amen? Is it? Because if we're working from, remember my equation, connection, community, confession. If we're working from the end of the solution backwards, if, there, if we want confession, there must be community. And if there's going to be community, there has to be connection. But if you take connection away, there's nothing. We fool ourselves. If we just think, well, they should just come forward on Sunday. Well, it's Saturday night of the youth rally. So-and-so better get up there. Have you reached to them? Have you sought out a conversation with them? Have you spent time in silent prayer for them and for their soul? Have you tried to connect in any way? I think confession is the result of groups of people, congregations, youth groups, family members, friend groups who are connected. And in the connection they find the community that God has established and God has designed for them. There's no community without connection Real connection is not an electrical screen. It doesn't happen that way. Real connection requires faces, voices, nonverbals, and ears. Have you ever sent a text message? And you're like, oh boy, I hope they take that the right way. And so you've got to send the other qualifying text message. That's like two paragraphs long to explain what you meant by the words that you said on the electrical screen and hoping that they got it the right way. And then you send that third one, you're like, hey, I just want you to know where I'm coming from, all right? So here's where I'm coming from. Here's why I had to qualify what I said earlier with that one, one sentence statement. Just call me. And while I'm on the subject, don't be the person that when I call you, you don't answer and then immediately text me back, hey, what's up? (laughs) Hey, what's up? What's up? Answer your phone! Why is text messaging so popular? I don't have to talk. I don't have to talk. I don't have to listen. I don't have to talk. I don't have to listen. I don't have to respond. 
I don't have to talk. I don't have to listen. I don't have to respond. I don't have to have empathy. I don't want to talk. I don't have to listen. I don't have to respond. I don't have to feel empathy. And therefore, I can just go on living without caring. Because we live in a world that thrives on isolation and disconnection. And the result, we just don't really care about people. I'm not saying all text messages are bad. I'm in a group text message with my shepherds, my elders, and we text regularly about people in the congregation, things that are going on, things that we're praying for. I'm not saying all texting is bad. What I'm saying is you lose connection the more you spend time on an electrical screen punching little buttons. Pick up a phone and call somebody. Better yet, go see them face to face. There is no community without real connection. And when I'm connected with people, I'm in front of people, what do you see? Put your phone away. I'm so sick, I'm so sick and tired of seeing people walk around like this, or sitting at a restaurant. I, oh, uh, here we go. I'm, man, I'm on a soapbox, Wes. I'm sorry. I drank coffee before I came, and that was a bad idea. And so you sit down at a restaurant, you know this nice little family, like, oh, everybody's so in love and connected. They're going out to eat together. Isn't that wonderful? You sit down, what does everybody do first? Water. Oh, oh, we're all at the table? Okay, all right. Well, so now he's going to go to the table. What are you doing sitting at the table? And so everybody sits here and eats like this. My wife and I get to go on dates seldomly. We wish we could go by ourselves more often. We have kids, so it's just not a reality right now. And then I see these other couples. I don't think they have kids. I don't know. They come in, they sit down, they get their food. What'd you say? Oh. Like, what on earth are you doing? Other than wasting your time and being terrible at being a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, or wife. I'm so tired of people in face-to-face -face conversation letting the phone rule as Lord. Simon Sinek talked about if you want somebody to, to feel valued and to feel like they have self-worth, when you're with somebody, this is, this is invisible. Gone. Put it in your pocket and let it be. Let it be. Oh, please, let it be. Because the screen will be there when you're by yourself. But we've become so addicted to the little tiny electrical screens because of the chemical firings in our brains, because of the <whistles> that someone who is right, I did not ask for a response. <laughs> Isn't that silly too, by the way? that I can make this noise, and you automatically think phone, not bird. Woo. Simon Sinek talked about, look it up on YouTube, he talked about, if you want to make someone feel valued and special, please keep your phone in your pocket. Because you're really not, the, 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 the electrical social media world is not hinging upon your immediate response. I don't know if you realize that or not. It's probably going to be there in 10 minutes. Instagram is probably going to keep on churning without you for five minutes. All right, or I don't even know what we're doing anymore. I see people just like walking around doing this. There's no community without connection. Quite frankly, there can't be a connection 
with people if you're not with people and if you don't show them that they're valuable. So please, friends, show people that they're valuable with face-to-face conversations, with phones in pockets, looking at them, speaking with them. This is even a little uncomfortable. Why? Because we don't do it enough anymore. You remember years ago when you watch movies from old times and someone walked out their front door, which is mind-blowing for today, and what would they do in the old movies? They'd walk across the street. And then what would they do? They'd walk up to someone else's front door. And then what would they do? Knock. And then what would take place? Talk. And then what would happen, Austin? They would be friends. They'd probably share stories about their families. They might even talk about their Lord. Because across the street is a human being who's living a real life with real problems and a real need for a savior. But we have Christians that have really become so addicted to a phone that they won't even walk across the street and look a soul eye to eye. There's no community without connection. And there won't be a connection until you realize that a person is valuable. God created us for this. We have a direct impact on creating a community, not just within our neighborhoods, not just even within our youth groups, within our congregations. We exist in a culture that is so far removed from that first century culture. Where do the first century Christians meet at for worship? In homes. The necessity of meeting in homes means that there were probably a little bit smaller groups. And when the groups got too big, they met in different places in their community. But here's what I want us to point out. They were so tight-knit, and because they were in close quarters, that us right here, right now, we can, one person can sit right there, and the other person can sit right over there. And so what do we call it? Uh, this, is, this is West Side Church, Forest Park Church of Christ, and that's East Side Church, Forest Park Church of Christ. And so all I know are my West Side people over here, and that's the East Side group. We don't mingle with those people over there, and I've never met that person over there. I, it depresses me in congregational settings, and, and you've probably experienced it. You may be doing it. I remember when we first came to different congregations, one in Kentucky, Tennessee, now Alabama. And I, I would be trying to get to know people. And I would ask this person from over here, hey, have you met that person right over there? I talked to him last Sunday and they said, who are you talking about? Oh, I, have, you, have you been here for a little while? Yeah, I've been here my whole life. Oh, they have too. Hmm. Our congregations have become so segmented that if you just sit on the wrong aisle, you'll probably never meet that person. We've become so segmented that if you're not in the youth group, you're probably not going to know that person. Because they're in the the senior saints group. Well, they're in the the live wires group. Well, they're in the young adult group without kids. Because that's the young adult group with kids. And that's the young adult group in denial in their 40s and 50s. So you have that group too? (laughs) 
all I know is, when I look in my Bible and I read the words that God inspired with his spirit, I read this. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And so we have many people who God said are one. Are we? The reason I think that we don't have churches where people are confessing and confessing and sin is being put forth and sin is being prayed for and people are coming before groups of people in tears because of things that they've been doing, the reason I don't think we have people in the front rows confessing is because we don't have people in the pews who are connecting. We live our lives in isolation, acting like the church, acting like a body, but in reality we're fake. And maybe I've been part of the problem. And maybe I need to change. And maybe where you are, you've been part of the problem. And you need to change. I want people in the front row, not because good, you better get up there, it's about time, but because you've been connected to people, and this is not just the church you're a member of, this is your family. And we don't keep secrets in the family. And when we have problems, we want it to be known within the family. Because in the family is where the support is. In the family is where the trust is. And in the family is where our Lord is. So are we being the body of Christ? Or are we just playing games? Are we people who are connecting? Or are we just pew sitters who are sitting? God created us for community. There's no community without connection. Let's connect to people. And I look in the first century church in Acts 2, 42. They had all things together. All things were in common. Acts 4, 32. They came together and as anybody had need, they gave up of what they had for each other. And even in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, people were about to go off on a missionary journey. So what was the church doing? They came together. They worshipped. They fasted. They prayed. And they sent them off. They were together. They were connected. They had a community. And when God's church becomes the body of Christ, a community of connected Christians, I am fully convinced that confession happens. Now let's speak practically. Because this is hard. This is tough. But we've got to get here. Why is confession so hard? I think it's hard because it shows that I'm actually weak. I'm sorry that I've sounded negative at times. I don't want to be the guy who's just yelling and screaming and telling us we're all terrible. Because let me just be, be honest, you're here. You're acknowledging a desire to grow closer to the Lord. And I'm so grateful for that. And so wherever you are in your walk with Christ, whether it's day one or day 1,000 or day 1 million, I don't know. I'm so grateful for you. You have such an impact on eternity, not just within your own life, but within a circle of people who are around you. So I'm grateful to God for you, all right? Know that. But here's the truth. We walk into buildings 
on days of assembly, and I don't like to call it church. I like to call it assemb we assemble for worship. We don't go to church. We are the church that assembles for worship. We, we go to assemblies for worship, and here's what we do. If you can't tell, I like to act things out. <laughs> so we're in the house. Hurry up, it's time to go. We've got to get there fast. Oh, man. Son, put on the right shoe. Where is she? Is her hair done yet? Good night. We just got it cut. You only got half of it left. Let's go. Sweetheart, get in the car. You look great. So we get in the car. No, we're not going to play music right now. Hurry up, we get there. You get out of the car, you walk in the parking lot. Hey, everybody. How's it going? <laughs> Good, how are you? Oh, things are great. Things are great in our house, so we just love each other. <laughs> what a swell child I have. We play games. We play games with people because we're afraid to admit that we're just weak. When's the last time you saw somebody walk into an assembly and you could tell they're broken? Far too often our assemblies, far too often, they've become a, a showcase of my best, when in reality our assemblies, I think, should look more like a hospital for the hurting, a place of peace for the broken. It's an, it's an area, it's a group, it's a community where you can come together to find peace, not be at peace and then come to the assembly. But when I'm with my brothers and sisters, I can lay it down. Because all week I'm trying to lift myself up. I'm trying to have the right attitude. I'm trying to keep that smile on my face to show the joy of the Lord. But when I'm with my brothers and sisters, oh. But for some reason we have an atmosphere in congregations that if I'm going into the assembly, instead of exhaling, oh, I'm walking in the building. Tell me I'm wrong. I do it all the time. <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong again, see what happens. <laughs> see you right now. I don't take that from eight month olds. No way. <laughs> I'm a dad. I, I What is it like where you are? It may not be that way. All I can speak of is the experiences that I've had in my life. You know what I'm excited about with your generation? Here's what pumps me up. You look at me, young people. I mean, older folks can look at me too, that's fine. Here's what pumps me up about you. You want authenticity. You want reality. You don't want a facade. You don't want, you want, you don't want to fake the game. You don't want people up here just wearing a suit coat and a tie, and if you've got a suit coat and a tie, it means you've got it all together, and you're a, you're a figure of authority and respect, even though that person in a suit coat and tie has never said a word to you. Now, I'm not 
against suit coats and ties. I'm not against all that stuff. I, I just don't care about clothes. I mean, I want to wear them. <laughs> I just don't care what they look like. Not anymore. Because we spend so much time dressing up our bodies that we forget to dress up our souls. That we come to assemblies, perfumed, showered, pressed clothes, but broken hearts, empty souls, and minds that are so far from God that it's not even funny. I'd rather somebody come into assembly with rags and smelling, but their heart is fully devoted to God in that moment. Far better. I'm so excited about you because you want sincerity. And I hope you're sincere in that. You want authenticity, and I hope your faith is authentic. You want reality, and reality is God loves you, and you ought to passionately pursue the loving God. I'm excited about it, because I think in this generation, working with generations who've come before, I think we have an opportunity to cultivate and create an atmosphere where confession is not something that you feel pressured or nervous to do, but confession is a natural result of a connected group of believers. Amen? It can happen. And you can have a part of that. It's tough right now because it admits weakness. It's tough right now, and I know I've been preaching forever. It's tough right now. Because it proves that I don't have it all together. And I read different texts, like Romans chapter 7, verses 18 through 19, when, when Paul talks about that. I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm doing the very thing I hate. That's called humanity. And secondly, in 1 Timothy 1, verse 15, he calls himself the chief most of sinners. But in reality, we're afraid. Is that the sign that I've been preaching too long? Don't worry about it. I don't need it. We look in scripture and we see descriptions of men who say, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. I'm the chief most of sinners. But in reality, Psalm 44 verse 21, I know my Lord knows the secrets of my heart. So I may be able to fake out people, but I'll never fake out the Father. And so I won't confess my sins because it admits my weakness. It proves that I don't have it all together. It reveals my skeletons. It leaves me vulnerable. But you know what it does in the end? Results in accountability with the family of God. And that is where the strength lies. We don't confess sin because you'll think you'll be weak. And if I show weakness, I can't be strong. So I've got to be strong. But true strength lies in laying your burdens down. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. Bearing one another's burdens and so fulfilling the law of Christ. True strength is admitting weakness, laying my burdens down so my brothers and sisters can lift me up and give me true, godly, community, connected strength. You have an opportunity to create that atmosphere within your congregations. And if you don't think you can impact your congregation, impact your youth group. I've been in congregations where one member of the youth group would come forward and guess what everybody else would do? Surround them. And not too long, that happens for so long, I see an adult come forward, and guess what the adults do? Surround them. Because they saw the young people do it first. You can directly impact 
the environment and the atmosphere of your congregation to create a connected community of Christians who are willing and, and able to confess sin. Because raise your hand if you've never committed sin. Raise your hand if you don't struggle with temptation. So what I just showed to everybody is you are not alone. You won't be judged. You won't be thought of as anything else than a Christian who's ready to confess and let God forgive him. I'm going to close with 1 John chapter 1. Look there in your Bible because I don't want you to trust my words. I want you to see God's words. Starting in verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, each other, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, watch this, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You might be sitting in the pew tonight looking all weekend long and thinking, I'm, uh, I'm going to, mm, maybe, uh, mm. I'm actually okay. Well, stop lying to yourself tonight. Because if there is an elephant in the room of your life, we know it's there. You know it's there. Beyond all those things, God knows it's there and it's time to get rid of it. What I don't want you to do is miss an opportunity tonight in front of a group of connected Christians. And, and aren't you here to see people grow closer to Jesus? Amen? Aren't you here to see people con confess sin and be in a right relationship with God? Amen? What better time than now? Lie to yourself no longer. Come down from the spaces of the world and engage with God tonight. And let this be a turning point. Wes, when you said that, I loved it. Let this be a turning point of your spiritual walk. And let it be a moment where you remember for the rest of your life probably that in this moment of connected, a community, Christians, you confess sin. God forgave you and you are empowered to walk in faith. And if we can help you do that, Come forward. Let's stand and sing.